Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Psalm chapter number eight. All right. Are you there? Say I'm there. Okay. Psalm chapter eight. I, I took long enough. You should have found it by now. Okay. If you haven't found it yet, just pretend like you're there, okay? So Psalm chapter 8 is where we are. Look at verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hast set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens... The work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that for the next few moments you would use this passage in our lives. Father, remind us who you are. Remind us who we are. And remind us who we are in you. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. When we went through our study in the book of Psalms, you'll, you'll remember that I told you an easy way to identify a theme of the book of Psalms is to look at the first verse and to look at the last verse. And generally speaking, if you look at the first verse and the last verse of the book of Psalm, they serve as bookends for that chapter. Normally, where the psalmist begins, he comes back to at the end. So notice how the verse ends, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Look at verse number 9, look how it ends. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So what do you think the theme of Psalm chapter 8 is? It's about how excellent our God is. That's what the entire theme is about. It's about how good, how great our God is. So it begins with the excellency and the greatness of God. It ends with the excellency and the greatness of our God. And everything in between, verse 1 and verse number 9, is meant to cause us to understand this theme. It's meant to cause us to understand how great our God is. Do you know that tonight? You know we serve a great God. We serve an excellent God. We serve a capable God. We serve a big God. I understand there are big questions that you are trying to answer. I understand there are big problems you're trying to solve. 
I understand there are major difficulties that you're trying to navigate your way through. I get that. But we serve a God who is bigger and greater and stronger than all of that. That's what this passage is teaching us. It's reminding us of this. We serve a great God. It was September of 1977. NASA had launched Voyager 1 in order to study the solar system. On February 14th, 1990, Voyager 1 had completed its primary mission. NASA engineers turned the cameras on on Voyager 1. They took a picture. You can Google the picture if you like. It's a, the picture is simply called the pale blue dot. What the picture was, was Earth from a distance. It's what Earth looked like in comparison to everything else in the universe. Astronomer Carl Sagan, in a speech that he gave in 1994, he mentioned this picture, the pale blue dot. And from his thinking on this picture and looking at it, he wrote this, delivered it in his speech. He said, if you look at that dot, here's what you will see. You will see that's us. That's home. And on that little blue dot, is everyone you have ever heard of. Every human being who has ever lived has lived out their lives on that little blue dot. It represents the aggregate of all of our sufferings, of all of our joy. A thousand confident religions and ideologies and economic doctrines. Every hunter, every forager, every hero, every coward, every creator of civilization and every destroyer of civilizations. Every king, every peasant, every young couple in love, every hopeful child, every mother, every father, every inventor, every explorer. Every teacher, every moral, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint, every sinner in the history of our species has lived on that little dust suspended by a sunbeam. He goes on to say the earth is very small in the stage of a vast cosmic arena. All of our posturing, all of our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some kind of power or privilege in the universe, it's all challenged. When you realize our planet, our planet is a lonely speck, in the great enveloping cosmic dark. Wow. Quite a statement. Sagan says that when you compare yourself to the size of the universe, do you know how you will feel? You will feel very small. And he's right. We are... Very small. But he's only half right. And here's why he's only half right. Because there's more to the story 
than just us. The more to the story is that there is a God who created us. There is a God who loved us. There is a God who has a purpose for us. So our lives in this vast cosmic universe are not meaningless. So this is what Psalm chapter 8 is answering for us. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all of the earth. And he, and he begins right where he ought to begin. Look at verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. The psalmist, when he sees earth in all of its grandeur, in all of its power, in all of its might, when he sees the, biz, the bigness of this cosmic universe, what does he do? He looks at the universe around him and he realizes that there is a God to which the entire universe answers to. You ever, you ever stood at the ocean? How many have ever stood at the ocean and watched the waves just crash right in front of you? Men and I enjoy going to the ocean. It's one of our favorite places to go. The ocean is very powerful. Very powerful. And at the same time, the ocean is very peaceful. It's just one of those places where both of those things, power and peace, are both present. But did you ever stand in the ocean and try to stop the wave from crashing on the shore? If you ever tried to do that, how successful were you? Not very successful, right? Not very successful. And we're reminded of what Job teaches us in his letter. And Job teaches us that even the waves themselves answer to our great God. The wave goes no farther than the hand of God allows it to go. And Job is doing the same thing that the psalmist is doing. The psalmist is looking at the universe around him and he is reminded of the God who is above him. When you look at the universe around you, when you look at the world around you, you should be reminded of the God who is in rule, who is in power, and who reigns over us. The psalmist shows us who God is. But that is not all the psalmist, the psalmist does. The psalmist shows us who we are. Look at verse 3. When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? So the psalmist moves from considering the greatness of our God, the goodness of the work of God, and now the psalmist looks at himself. He sees just how big God is. Notice what he says. I consider the heavens literally Outer space, that's what he's talking about. I consider outer space, I consider the universe, I consider the Milky Way, I consider where the stars hang, and I am reminded, notice this, that you did that with the work of your fingers. You see that? The universe to God was the work of his fingers, that's it. That's how big and great our God is. But that's also how small we are. 
A man alone in the universe is nothing. Man alone in the universe is insignificant, purposeless. Man alone is nothing. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. Notice, for thou hast, verse 5, made him, the man. Thou hast made us. You've made humanity. You made each and every individual. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the work of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and beasts of the field and fowl of the air and fish of the sea and whatsoever passeth through the sea. So the psalmist shows us who God is. The psalmist shows us who man is. And then last thought, the psalmist shows us who man is because of God. Aren't you, aren't you glad the psalmist doesn't end this psalm with verse number four? Man compared to the universe is nothing. Aren't you glad he moves on to verse five and says, for thou hast. Literally means, yet you. I, I see the universe, it's big, you made it, you own it. I'm, I see myself, I'm little, I'm nothing, I'm insignificant compared to the universe, just smaller than a speck of dust. For thou, yet you, because you. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Man by himself is insignificant, yet man, because of God, is significant. By ourselves, we are no one. By ourselves, we are powerless. But with God, man, we can be all that God has intended and created and made us to be, and so we should be. So, so notice this, who is man because of God? Notice a couple of thoughts here. First, who's man because of God? Because of God, man is valuable. God made us valuable. God gives us value. He says, he made man a little lower. Notice the phrase, he made us a little lower than the angels. Man has value. Every human being you have ever inter interacted with has value because that human being has been made, created in the image of God. You've never met a person who is valueless. You've never met a person who is purposeless. You've never met a person who is insignificant. No, men and women have significance. We have value. Not because of what we contribute to the world, but because of what God has done for us. This is a distinctly Christian understanding, just so you know. The world teaches, well, you have value if you contribute to society. Or you have value if you're successful. Or you have value if you're rich. 
Or you have value if you come from the right places. You have value if you do the right things. The world teaches us that the way you get value is by building and adding and equipping and contributing and storing. If you're pretty, if you're popular, if you're famous, you have value. You have a say. You are significant. But only the message of Christianity, only the message of the Bible says, no, no, no. You have value because you have been made in the image of God himself. Every person ever made, ever built, ever wired, ever born is a person made in the image of God. And as a result is a person who has value. Not because of what they contribute, but because of the image in which they were made. God gives us, he gives us value. Maybe, maybe you need to hear this tonight. You, you have value because you are a person made in the image of God. <laughs> you, you have things about yourself that you'd like to change. How many of you have something about yourself? You like to be a little bit taller, you like to be a little shorter. You like to be a little skinnier. You like to be a little bigger, right? Anybody have stuff about them that they want to change? Let's see. Just take a poll. Okay, some people didn't raise their hand. They're lying. Okay. And this is what we think, right? That if I had these things, then I would mean, then I'd be somebody. If I had these things, then I would matter. If I had these things, then people would finally like me. If I had these things, then I'd be fulfilled. If I, if I looked like that, if I talked like that, if I lived there. Then finally, I'd be somebody. The message of Christianity says, no, 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 no. You are somebody because you have been made in the image of God. You matter because of God. What God does in the Garden of Eden after he creates Adam, he breathes into man. What does the Bible say? Verse, chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. He breathes into man the breath of life. And man became a living soul. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to get you upset. I'm not trying to cause a church split. But your dog doesn't have a living soul. Your cat definitely doesn't have a living soul. Your pet parakeet doesn't have a living soul. This is what distinguishes man from everything else. Man... God breathed into him the breath of life. Man now has a living soul. We're created in the image of God in this way, that we have a soul that lives forever. Who is man? Who is man because of God? Well, God has made him man. Mankind. Literally speaking about mankind. God has made him a little lower than the angels. We have value because of that. God gives us value. God gives us value. Don't let the world tell you that you're, you have no value. Don't let the world tell you you don't matter. God gives us honor. That's the second thought in this text. Look at it. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Look at verse 5. And thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. You look at the universe, you see the glory of God. You see the majesty of God. The psalmist says that God has crowned us with the same kind of honor, with the same kind of glory. Literally, thou hast crowned him with glory. 
So you, you look out into the universe and you see space. So you see the, the majesty of mountains or you see the glory of some majestic peak or you see the strength or the power of the ocean. And you look at this and you go, wow, look at the greatness of our God. But the psalmist is saying, no, no, no. You want to see the glory and the greatness of God? Look at man. That's the prize of his creation. That's where he set his glory. I, I, I enjoy a, a, a good hike through the mountains, looking at the mountains, the, the power, the might that God has made. I, I, I enjoy picturesque moment in nature. But nowhere in the Bible will you read that God crowned the mountains with glory and honor. You know who God crowned with glory and honor? You. you. Man, because of God, God gives us honor. That's not to say that man is perfect. Of course, we are not perfect. That's not to say that man is always good. Of course, we are not always good. But what it is saying is it's saying that man is certainly different. Man is amazing. He's, he's, he's removed from the rest of creation. He's removed from the rest of creation. By the way, this, this, is a, this, this will help you understand if you have a, a Christian worldview concerning these things or if you have a, a worldly view concerning these things. You remember Jonah in the book of Jonah, that prophet who went to the city of Nineveh, he preached the whole city ends up with revival. Jonah forecast doom on them. If they do not repent, he goes out of the city, finds himself a seat on the hill and he waits for fire to fall down from heaven on the city. And as a result of sitting there, he waits long enough and the Lord allows a shade tree to grow up and provide shade for Jonah. Remember this story? And along comes a little worm and the worm eats the tree down and the shade tree falls over. And what happens? Jonah gets mad. He kicks the tree. He curses. He starts crying. He's bewailing. Where'd my shade go? Where'd my shade go? That was such a pretty shade tree. And then God comes along the way and goes, why are you so mad about the tree? It's just a tree. And the way that you feel about this tree is the way that I feel about people. Jonah's operating with a worldly worldview. Why? Because he cared more about the tree than he did about the people who had a living soul. What moved Jonah to tears and anger? What moved Jonah? The tree fell. What moves God? People's eternal souls. We live in a world where plants matter more than people. We love our stuff more than we love others. We honor our things more than we honor another human being. We're more careful with our belongings than we are careful with someone's spiritual condition, their emotions, their reputation, their name, their character. 
of God. God has crowned man with glory and honor. I want to know if you've seen the world the way that God chooses to see the world. Do you value what he values? God values the eternal soul of a man. God honors, he crowns with glory and, glory and honor the eternal soul of man. Notice this, not just that. Man, because of God, he has value. Man, because of God, he has honor. But notice this, God gives man work. All the ladies on that point said, amen. Get to work. Look what he says. For thou madest him to have, verse 6, do you see it? For thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet. God has given us work. In other words, God makes us useful. You know work exists before the fall of man? In the Garden of Eden, Adam was given a job to do. God gives us work. We are built for this. It's important that we realize that you and I have a job to do. And when we do the job that God has given us to do, when we work, when we use the strength that God has given us, when we use the gifts that God has given us, when we use the wiring or the, the ability that God has given to us, we find fulfillment. We find fulfillment in doing a job. That's why when you get something done, you go, wow, I feel pretty good about myself. I got my to-do list done today. That's a good day. You feel good. The world operates in a completely different view. You want to feel good? Do nothing. You never feel good after you just laid around the house all day just gorging yourself with chocolate chip cookies, right? You always feel worse about yourself at the end of that day. You feel good to get something done. Why? Because you've, you're doing what God has built and wired you to do. And here's the good news. God has built and wired you different than God has built and wired me. You don't have the same job I have. And you can't have my job. I really like mine. You got to go find your own job. And some people are really good working with their hands. Great. Some people are really great with working with their minds. Fantastic. Some people are really good working with their feet. Wonderful. Some people are great with different things that interest them. That's okay. That's all part of God's wiring, God's gifting, God's creating. You don't have to be me. I don't have to be you. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm so glad I don't have to be you. I like being me. But see, we can't understand this apart from God. You cannot understand your purpose, your wiring, your gifting, apart from God. You know why? Because you're always going through life measuring and comparing yourself to everybody else. Why can't I sing like them? Why can't I get grades like that? Why can't I have a job like this? Why can't I do those kind of things? It was, it was, very, it was very simple for me to find out, like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? It's simple. It was a, it was a process of elimination. Okay, Lord, maybe I could be an NFL linebacker. Nope, that's out. <laughs> you know why? Because I'm 5'10 and a buck 70. That's why. <laughs> Not going to make it. A one time getting hit by one of those guys and every bone in my body would be immediately broken. I'm not signing up for that. Football player, out. Okay, Lord, maybe I could be a basketball player. Not, eh, that's out. You know why? Same reason. 
can't shoot, can't dunk, <laughs> ain't fast. That's out. Okay, maybe, maybe I could be a doctor. Maybe, that's, maybe I could be a doctor. And that was probably true up until maybe, I don't know, couple years into adulthood, I went and made a hospital visit. I walk into the room, make a hospital visit. The guy goes, look what I did to my thumb. And he pulls back the thing, which just for the record, I don't want to see your wound, okay? I am not your doctor. I am your pastor. I will pray for you, but do not show that to me. I don't want to see your stitches. I don't want to see your scars. I want to see your cut. Look what they did. I don't want to see I have no interest in that. This guy goes, look what they did to my thumb. He pulls it back. His thumb is just, he was cutting a piece of board, and the board slipped out, and his thumb went right through the, the saw that about, about took his thumb off. Went right, he was like, look what they did to my thumb. And I literally just, the whole room got hot, got about this small, started spinning, and I'm just flat on my back. I wake up. There's a nurse over the top of me. She's like, sir, slapping, sir. I'm like, where am I? She says, you're in the hospital. And I look out, and the guy that I went to visit is sitting up on the base. like, are you okay? <laughs> no, I'm not okay because of you. No one wants to see that. Guess what? I'm not going to be a doctor. Eh, that's out. You can't handle blood and guts? You should not be a doctor. It's very simple. He said, well, what am I supposed to do? What? Find out what you're good at. Find out what you like. Find out what you're passionate about. He said, well, I don't know what I'm good at. Okay, here's a great place to start. Ask people you trust. What, what do you think I'm good at? You think I'm, you think I'm good at, at certain jobs? You think things come easy to me? You think I'm passionate about these sorts of things? That's probably the area in which God has built you, placed you, wired you, created you, and gifted you to work. And God gives us work. God gives us value. God gives us honor. God gives us work. Hey, just on this point, some people are doing work that they're not good at. They probably should do something different, you know? Not everybody is good at everything. And some people are trying to do a work that they're supposed to be doing something else. Is their giftiness better suited in another way? That's okay. That's okay. You don't have to be anyone other than who God made you to be. Gives us value, gives us honor, gives us work. Watch this. He gives us responsibility. Notice this. He says, and thou hast put all things under his feet. In other words, he gave us responsibility. He put us in charge. He's given us power. You need to recognize this. You have power in this world to do great good. And you have power in this world to do great evil. The Bible says that our words can offer life and our words can offer death. Our words can bring hurt and our words can bring hope. And we're responsible for how we use that. Put all things under our feet. How'd you use your words this week? How'd you use your actions this week? To bring life, to bring hope, to bring help to someone? To build up or to tear down? How'd you use the power that God's given you? He 
He's put all things under your feet. He's put us in charge. He's given us a power. This is the basic human story. How will you use what God has given to you? Will you use it for your own selfish gain? Will you use it for your own fleshly appetite? Will you use it to cause hurt? Will you use it to get back? Will you use it to settle the score? Or will you use what God has given to you for him? The power that God has given to us, you need to, remember, you, need to, you need to remember this, is a delegated power. It's a delegated authority. It is not an authority. It is not a power that belongs ultimately to us alone. It is a power and authority that ultimately belongs to God for which we will answer to God for how we used Every pastor, every preacher, every prophet, every Christian, every deacon, every Sunday school teacher, every nursery worker, every brother, every sister, every mom, every dad, every uncle, every aunt, every child will answer to God for how they used the words, the power, the opportunity, the responsibility for which God has given to us alone. He's put all things under your feet. See to it, purpose now, that you're going to be the kind of person that uses the responsibility, the opportunity, the authority, the power that God has given to you to build others up. To lead others to Jesus. To offer hope. Not to hurt, not to wound, not to cut. But to serve do good, to accomplish good in the world. God gives us value, God gives us honor, God gives us work, God gives us responsibility. That's the explanation of it. Let me just apply it quickly. What should we do in light of this? Here's the first thing. See yourself as God sees you. See yourself as God sees you. I want to talk about more of this on, on this weekend, Lord willing. But You know, the insecurities often that we face in this life, they, they come from a misplaced identity. We don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. We don't see ourselves for who God made us to be. We don't see ourselves as we actually really are. And so when we have a misplaced identity. We don't know who we are. We don't know how God built us. We don't know how God created us. We don't know how God gifted or wired us. We aren't using this gifting and creating or wiring for his purpose. You know what flourishes in that kind of heart? Insecurity. You're always wondering if you're enough. You're always worried about what someone else is doing. You're always looking over your shoulder trying to get approval or affirmation. You're always waiting for somebody to come along and pat you on the back. You're always needing something from someone else. Because you don't know who you are in God. Who you are in Christ. Paul is saying, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. You hear the confidence that he's saying? 
He's saying, I know who I am. I know how to live. I know the way to go. And I can do that confidently. Why? Because Paul's just a man overflowing with self-confidence? No, because Paul knows, Paul knows who he is in Christ. If you do not know who you are in Christ, you do not, if you're not secure in your identity in him, you will find yourself always comparing to everyone around you, always wondering what this meant, what that meant, where they went, and you have no security because you are not anchoring yourself to Christ. Just, just do this for a, for a fun exercise. Look up all the times in the, in the, God, in the New Testament where the, the New Testament writers are telling us who we are. Let me give you a head start on a few of them. Write these verses down. Colossians 2, verse 10. Colossians 2, 10. Ephesians 2, 5. Romans 8, verse 1 and 2. 1 Peter 1, verse 16. You know, what, you know what Peter's telling the church? Remember that? I'll let you catch up. You know what Peter's telling the church? You are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a peculiar... What's he doing? He's offering to us who we are in Christ. He's, he's affirming our identity in Christ, which is meant to offer us what? Security. We don't have to be insecure. We can be confident. Let me give you a few more. Philippians 2, verse 5. Philippians 4, verse 7. 1 John 4, 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. That's enough to get you started. You'll find, you'll find so many more. This is who you are in Christ. Who am I in Christ? The, the, the more you're building your knowledge of who you are up in Christ, the more you are doing that, the, the more you see yourself the way that God sees you, the more you're able to embrace the work he gave you to do, the more you're able to use the authority that he has given to you for good, the more you're able to treat others with glory, with honor, with respect, with value, you aren't treating other people as just a means to an end. You aren't using other people for your own fleshly appetite. You aren't manipulating people just to get what you want. You aren't always worried about what someone else thinks. Why? Because you know who you are in Christ. See yourself as God sees you. Psalms 8 is about what? Who God is, who man is, and who man is because of God. And who man is because of God. And when you see who you are because of God, you'll find value, you'll find honor, You'll find a good work and purpose for life. You'll find responsibility, things to do. And when you do that, you know what you are afforded? Security. I am what I am 
in the grace of God. That's what Paul said. I am what I am in the grace of God. 